Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice. Good morning, Lucy. Good morning, Ronnie. Good to be back with both of you guys. When we're thinking about today and having Ronnie on, I was thinking about a story Ronnie told me about having pizza with Jonathan Shapiro last year when Jonathan Shapiro bought a bond. Jonathan Shapiro is a journalist for the AFR. The problem, of course, poor Jonathan was while he captured a nice yield in terms of in terms of the bond he bought, if he holds it to maturity, his capital gains experience has been less than optimal because interest rates have gone up. And he was sort of looking at this, wrote an article about it, and I thought, well, you know what? This is the problem of credit markets. Are people effectively taking too much risk for the incremental benefit over government bonds that they are receiving? Thank you, Gavin. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to this week's Tomorrow's News. We are back with Ronnie Green joining us on the show as a monthly regular guest. For those of you who missed our last episode, which you can go and re-listen, Ronnie has over 15 years experience in global fixed income and credit manager, and he returned home to Sydney before spending the last 12 years in Hong Kong working for investment bank JP Morgan and building a Hong Kong credit hedge fund at Primus Asset Management. Ronnie has seen enough credit cycles from GFC to 2018 to COVID to help investors negotiate volatile fixed income markets. And this is one of the reasons why we love working with Ronnie Beyond his very calm and easygoing personality, which many of you will get an opportunity to meet him in person in Sydney or Melbourne, and his amazing track record through these periods. Welcome, Ronnie. Thank you for having me. Great to be back. I'm going to leave you two to an excellent discussion today. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Well, thank you, Lucy, as always. So, Ronnie, let me set it up like this. Obviously, you know, the big question, is there enough VIG in the game as a credit manager? But I was reading a a piece of Bridgewater put out on a couple of days ago. And when you read their piece and you look at everything, you look at the 10-year minus the two-year and that spread, it seems like it's an absolute certainty that we're going to head into some kind of recession. Now, maybe more pronounced, maybe milder or whatever. In that market, why are credit spreads where they are? And how do you make sense of it? Yeah, look, it's a great question. So credit spreads had a big wobble, I would say, late last year and third quarter of last year. So we kind of got to reasonably cheap levels across investment grade and then high yield. And then the market narrative changed pretty rapidly to this soft landing to, I think we're currently at a no landing type of scenario. For me, I think it's wrong. I think credit spreads are, you know, I'd agree with Jonathan Shapiro. Things are too expensive at the moment in the credit space. And I think it's better to be prudent at the moment. There'll be much better opportunities in the coming weeks and months. There's kind of, you know, a lot of macro headwinds feed into the markets and perhaps a recession, the likelihood of a recession kind of gets repriced into the markets. Yeah. It's hard because it it's both 
it's consensus, but of course, markets are trading against consensus for, for a time. You can look at it in, to some extent in terms of the way that companies are trading after corporate earnings. I mean, NVIDIA last night, I think NVIDIA was up 14% today on earnings that are down materially year over year. Uh, but now they're getting into AI, so we can be excited about that for semiconductors. But we do have a market that's pretty risk on, right? And if we look long term, it's certainly not that we see credit spreads as super punchy and all about greed, but they're right in the middle of the cycle, right? They're right in the middle of the zone by the way I look at it. And doesn't it just make more sense to own governments to the extent that you're going to own anything in the fixed income space? I think the base rates moved up significantly, right? So, you know, I was listening to Howard Marks this morning and, Mm. you know, for instance, you know, like US high yield was yielding about 4% this time last year. It's now closer to nine. And most of that, if not all of it, is just from risk-free rates moving higher. But yeah, look, I'd point, you know, even Jamie Dimon last night, he was quoted on CNBC as saying there's some scary stuff out there. And, and he would know, he would see it in the data, right? From all the credit cards, from the mortgage lending, et cetera. So all that a credit spread is, is compensation to default risk on top of government risk. So if there is a recession coming or at least a slowdown, then investors should be getting compensated more to take credit risk. And you know, I think the right way to be positioned at this very moment is to be conservative. I think you know, like you said in your opening remarks, the yield curve is super inverted. So you get paid significantly at the front end. In fact, just this month, two-year yields are up, what, 60 basis points. Yeah. So as the market yeah. reprices, you know, a long, a higher for longer type Fed. And I think the kind of the risk that I'm most worried about as a manager is that, you know, the long end has it wrong. And the long end needs to reprice higher as rates stay higher for longer or inflation stays more elevated for longer. So, you know, as a bond manager, you know, the risk reward there is not, I would say it's not great. I would say that I get paid quite significantly at the front end. And as credit spreads widen out, if that view of a recession plays out and credit spreads widen significantly, then that'll be the the time to deploy the capital much more aggressively. I think things are tracking quite well in terms of the portfolio that I'm running. And, you know, I just want to have the dry powder ready for, you know, if we get another kind of bit of a risk-off panic October type last year scenario to deploy capital cheaply. It's funny. It almost becomes like a meme, right? I can sort of send around and sometimes (laughs) I do and then I realize I'm just being dull. But, you know, I can send around the little snapshot of the you know, Brookfield defaulting on its downtown LA commercial properties, mm-hmm. uh, PIMCO defaulting on a bunch of office buildings. It's funnily enough, though, I hear all kinds of vibe that actually everyone's trying to drive their staff back to the offices now because, of course, business is tougher, right? And 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 so at the margin, maybe the stuff's happening at exactly the wrong moment. You know, you've got that. I'm looking at US regional banks. And, you know, we're talking about something, you know, I think you and I have talked to people about, which is there's nothing wrong with six-month US T-bills. They're over 5%, I think, today, right? But when you look at the impact on US regional banks, the funds that have traveled out of deposit accounts, and this is kind of comes back to good old Jonathan Shapiro again, out of the deposit account, and it goes into money market, so it's no longer available for those banks to lend. 
that has a profound effect, particularly when you're seeing a tightening of credit standards, which we know we've seen for some time. It has a profound effect on markets, right? And I guess the thing that I, and I was looking at something this morning, and you know, you got to call me out on this. You got to say to me, Gavin, this is the dumbest thing you're going to say today. <laughs> so I was looking at the US two year, okay? And I happen to look at a chart. I like long term charts because they often tell you a little bit. Look at the US two year. And I realized that the US two year kind of entered the same zone by way of yield in a different environment around about January of 2006. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. It sort of stayed in the same range we're in now, the you know, mid fours and so forth, until July of 2007. We all know what happened then. But what I thought about, I'd love to get your view on, is that was a long time. It's a long time. So we talk about higher for longer. We talk about all the stuff. But do we just have to wait? Are you basically going to take up surfing for the next six months? <laughs> To keep you away from the screen so you don't do anything. Is that sort of the deal here? What, what, what I do wish, you think? I wish, Gavin. I think typically markets don't bottom until it, they don't kind of bottom when the Fed's done. They kind of bottom typically when the Fed starts cutting because there's generally like a panic, right? Like you can look back at the S&P or whatever, like the Fed kind of comes, all the RBA kind of come in, they cut rates significantly into a panic. And that's when we see the bottom of market. So I'd say like from a timing perspective, markets don't get really cheap until the Fed's kind of in panic mode. I don't think we're there yet. In terms of like what to do in portfolio. So what I would say is a lot of liquidity has been withdrawn from the markets, I would say. And that's quite clear from removal of quantitative easing and moving to quantitative tidings. So just generally a lot less money around. So for someone like myself, it creates a lot of opportunities on the trading side. And no, it's not a tr- complete trading strategy, but there are things to do to deploy capital for some kind of mispricings for kind of, you know, one to two month type trades. So, you know, I'm focused on that and that'll keep me away from Bondi Beach. But yeah, look, I think at the moment, it kind of pays to be prepared for when that puke kind of happens, right? So what I'm spending my time now doing is getting ready for that puke. I'm, that's kind of what I'm getting paid to do. And the great thing about now is cash is not trash. Cash is getting, you know, like you mentioned, 5% at the front end with no risk. So you add a tiny bit of risk on top of that, you can get an extra 1%, 2%. So, you know, you're already up at 6.5%, 7% just waiting around. So it sounds like a good deal for me. And when things get super cheap, well, there's a lot of value kind of in the belly of the curve or longer out, then, you know, we can deploy capital and kind of go for kind of, you know, mid single digit kind of trading returns from those types of bonds. And there's, you know, lots of situations where liquidity is kind of pulled out of the market. I want to have that liquidity available at the front end. So I don't have too much mark to market pressure and can kind of deploy that in those cheap opportunities, which I think will come in, in the coming quarter or so. Look, I mean, this is one of the things so critical. Look, and I've made every mistake. I try not to make them multiple times, but I've made made most of them. And one of them that I often think about is you want to be lightly positioned so that you can be aggressive in moments where everybody's losing their minds. Because these events do occur. The problem, of course, is patience, right? You know, either over trading or, you know, just thinking, well, am I on the wrong side? So let's flip it around for a moment. It's not a view I hold, but there are some pretty smart people who are way more bullish than me, way more bullish. And they would argue, they would argue that say, you know, all of you 
doom and gloom guys, you're missing something. You're missing the fact that real incomes are rising rapidly, okay, because the Fed is actually doing its job. We're beating inflation. We're going to start to see house prices come off. We're going to, you know, shelter is part of CPI. We got PCE coming out tomorrow in the U.S., We're going to start to see this rapid decline, which means that people's real incomes are up. Energy prices are down. Natural gas is at lows. Oil's at lows. There are all kinds of reasons to think that the Fed's about done in terms of the number of basis points of hiking it's going to do. That's starting to grip. And yeah, we kind of, you know what? Consumerism tapped out, we can get a kind of a benign environment here for 6, 12, 18 months, kind of recalibrate and move on without an accident. And that means that while you've been sitting waiting, and I've been sitting waiting for the big one, we just miss out on return, right? We miss out on return out of those high yield bonds. We miss out on, you know, now trading at 9% because those turned out to be good companies and and they've cut costs now. So they're even better for a, a bond guy. Do you think about that? or And how do we position that kind of view? Yeah. So I think, you know, for me as a bond guy, right? Like if I miss the upside in the S&P, right? Like it's not going to, you know, like as a bond guy, I just, you know, I want to miss the drawdowns, right? Like it's yeah. it's kind of like the market that I need to avoid. Well, the defaults is quite, quite frankly, is what I'm kind of trying to avoid here. So yeah, like the glass is always half full for me. But yeah, like I keep saying at the front end, I'm getting paid to wait here. I think the key risk in your scenario is probably not there for me. For me, the key risk is that, you know, 10-year treasuries kind of rally or the yield comes back down to kind of like two and a half percent because you know inflation does go away exceptionally rapidly and I miss that kind of upside, which is what happened in January. So in January the mm. indices were up about three percent. They've given that all back in February as kind of that narrative kind of disappeared with what was it, the strong jobs number, etc. So look, I think that's probably the risk to me. So the risk is always for, for someone like myself being too conservative at the front end is missing the rally at the long end, end, right? So that's the risk. I think on the credit spreads side of things, like they're already tight, as kind of you alluded to in the beginning and and my friend Johnny kind of wrote about yesterday in the AFR. So like, I don't think I'll miss out too much on that side. It's more getting that kind of like that rates positioning, correct? Mm. But yeah, like I said before, cash is not trash now and you're getting paid you know, 5% to wait. It sounds like a decent deal for me. I just add to your, you know, just to your comments before, I think the whole reason the Fed, the RBA, et cetera, are raising rates so aggressively is to kind of pull out leverage from the system, right? To kind of make financial conditions tighter, which is actually, you know, it's been the reverse, right? And that's, you know, yes. one of the- Yeah, for sure. One of the pushbacks on the Fed, but it's going to have a big impact. The US is a very finance-based economy. Australia is a, you know, very levered to to higher rates. So, look, I think things will certainly slow down if we get into this kind of like just muddle through type period. And you know, that could be a Goldilocks period for credit. If it's just a muddle through, yeah. that's Goldilocks yeah. for credit. It really is. But again, things are not cheap enough. I mean, BHP just issued a bond last night, hundred over Treasury. It's not cheap. You know, it's like it's okay. You know, you wouldn't be sitting there, 
you know, trying to grab as many of these as you can because just the risk reward is not not great. I, you know, I always say there's a rule of thumb in the investment grade space at about 200 over treasury, the investment grade index, it's kind of just close your eyes and buy type type levels. You know, we're nowhere near that. We're closer to 100 here. Yeah, for sure. No, we're sitting on LQD. I look at it. We're sitting on right like 106. And exactly, and, you know, this is in a period where pretty much sort of in the middle of the, as I say, in the middle of the zone, if you will, right? But but you're absolutely right in pointing out that the advantage for a guy like you is you can afford to sit in relatively short dated instruments and get paid very nicely to wait. And so I guess a couple of observations there is, if you're right, it's actually not very good for global risk which is sort of in my view, uh, we're going to get a bit of a perspective on whether or not there's a new risk to global risk in, with, with Japan today with the BOJ. Mm-hmm. I doubt we're going to get any big change there, but who knows. But I think that it suggests that as people sort of look at the S&P at 4,000 or you know they look generically at high yield at whatever, 80, whatever, and 74 on the HYG, that they're kind of like, ah, am I really being paid enough here? I'd rather sit in a government credit in the short end. That drain of liquidity eventually does affect broader markets. I think it sounds like patience is the call here. I like how you're positioned around it. Yeah, look, I think um, also, yeah. you know, you know, this these are contractual returns, right? If you can buy bonds at, you know, seven, eight percent, it's a contractual return. You know, mm-hmm. it's so like what are long-term SP returns? I guess they're, you know, maybe eight to ten percent, you know, depending on the time period you choose. So yeah. Look, you're not too far off that, right? You know, just the other pushback is that last year, the lesson that I think a lot of people learned, and you know, thankfully we were positioned for it in the funds, was that you saw inflation coming. It was eight, nine percent, whatever. So the view was stay away from cash. It's the worst thing to be in because there's inflation, right? But mm-hmm. it, you know, it just it, you flip it and actually cash was the best place to be with you know bonds down 15% you know, for 2022 and, you know, equity and was also pretty weak. So mm. look, I think, um, you know, the market has a good way of humbling everybody. And that just goes back to my point that, you know, staying at the short end seems like the obvious trade here. But, you know, I think we've got to be very mindful that the long end of the curve, there might be some real, real opportunities there to, um, to add some alpha. Hard to say that it's going to be from a higher level, but for my own book, I'm picking away at the two years. I continue to buy them every time they perk up here above that sort of 465, 470 level, you know, because I think you're probably stopped out around five and a quarter or so. We'll see. If I'm wrong about that, my uh, futures, my S&P future shorts are going to work out nicely. I'm Um, sure. Yeah. And so, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, your positioning is really interesting. And I think more than anything, you know, and I've said this to people that it's very difficult for the individual investor to have a, what I'd call a buy list ready. And so, I don't know, maybe you today, the BOJ surprises the world and lets go of yield curve control. They won't, but you know, they, they do it and it's a disaster tomorrow, right? Every global liquidity panic everywhere, blood the streets. There are probably five or 10 names you've got that you'll look at and you've got your level set. And I would challenge any investor sitting at home or who thinks they're smart, including myself, to go do that in a risk conscious way. 
right? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think you know all my experience from these kind of like macro shock events. You know, the liquidity getting withdrawn from the market just creates a lot of opportunities in things that are totally unrelated to the BOJ, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, something in Europe like an automaker and you I don't know, just whatever you can imagine. You know, just someone's long that and needs to sell that to kind of like repay a loan in Japan, like whatever it is. It's just lots of things to do always. The bond market being so big, so many players, people get tripped up all the time and there's plenty of opportunities and we will take advantage of them. Ronnie, it's always a pleasure. So much insight. I know you're uh, hitting singles and doubles every day and that's wonderful. Long may it last. And I will look forward to having you on again soon. Have a great weekend and thanks so much for spending time with us today.